just when you thought it was safe to go onto iTunes. This is Next Level Guy. The only website that makes self-development as fun as going to the movies. It's time to take the red pill and escape the Matrix. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Next Level Guy Show podcast with your host, Ian Doss Mackay. Today's guest is Alice Little. Alice is the number one booking legal sex worker in the United States and works as a courtesan at the Moonlight Bunny Ranch in Nevada. At only 4 foot 8 inches, she's by far the tiniest lady at the legal brothels in Nevada. A New York native, she's worked as an EMT and horse jockey. She loves electronic and tabletop entertainment and adores intellectual stimulation. A frequent visitor to Virginia City and fascinated by its history, she loves exploring Nevada and all it has to offer. Alice has presented at over 50 kink and BDSM events nationwide and frequently helps couples with their problems in and out of the bedroom. She's recently started writing relationship advice articles for She Knows Media and was also recently featured on The Tim Ferriss Show. In this interview, we discuss the benefits of sex work, intimacy, building connection with others and why your perceptions of sex work are very likely to be wrong. This topic may not be for everybody, but Alice is very humble, honest, open and truthful about the pros and cons for sex workers and is trying to make the industry better for those who use it and those who work in it. This interview may have offend some, but this podcast is here to delve into all areas and find out more and what makes people so successful and so appealing to others. Sex work is one of the oldest industries around and we're doing a disservice to men by ignoring where we go wrong in the bedroom and by ignoring the industry and its positive benefits that can be provided to those who use it. I've never used a sex worker myself personally, but this did not mean I was not interested in finding out a bit more. And after listening to Alice on the Tim Ferriss show, I was very intrigued and wanted to ask her for some more and find out where men use it and how they use it and why uh, some will get the benefits from it. I hope that if anything, like Alice says, you learn that sex workers are humans too and deserve the same level of respect and interest as everyone else. And hopefully this interview changes your perceptions on sex work too, or at least helps you consider your current views on the industry and those who work in it. But before we get into the interview, a quick word about the affiliates. I've managed to build up some great relationships with some awesome companies. This allows me to obtain special discount codes, deals, and listener exclusives. Please go to www.nextlevelguy.com forward slash affiliates for further information. I'm particularly loving the Trojan condoms from British Condoms. These give a, a strict protection, yet a very sensitive feel. I also like Ross Edgeley's awesome new book, The World's Fittest Book, and Mr. Skin, where you can see your stars in very little. For more info on these and so much more, please check out www.nextlevelguy.com forward slash affiliates. I hope you had as much fun listening to this one as I did interviewing, and I hope you enjoy it. And it probably goes without saying, this one is probably not suitable for listening at work. Well, thank you very much, Alice, for taking the time to do this interview. So if we met in a bar and we're sitting having a drink and I asked who you were, you know, and why you're so well known, what would you say? Oh, what a great question. If I were to sit down at a bar with somebody and had a limited period of time to tell them who I am and what I do, I would probably start off by introducing myself by name. 
Hello, I'm Alice Little. I am the number one legal sex worker in America. Every perception you have about sex work and sex is wrong. I want you to ask me anything because I'm here to change your mind and your perceptions. So can you tell me a little bit about your upbringing? You know, did you have any siblings? What did you want to be as a child? Where about did you grow up? Oh my goodness. I was so lucky to have such an idealistic childhood. I was lucky enough to grow up on my grandmother's farm back in Ireland. And so I was surrounded by horses and sheep. And I had this amazing lifestyle where I was able to run around as a kid, explore nature, fall, scrape my knees and just climb trees and have a blast. It's so funny you ask what I wanted to be when I was a kid, because I actually wanted to be a cat when I was younger, believe it or not. I was very much so convinced that I wanted to be a cat and climb trees and live in a barn and just go all wild. So for the first five years of my life, that was my big goal. Well, you've certainly won the award for strangest answer to that question. I mean, I went from wanting to be a cat to working at a cat house, so I suppose I win. Uh, <laughs> I do have a couple of cat ears. So when you've grown out of wanting to be a cat, you know, a big part of my site used to be looking at particular characters in films and television, you know, and analysing why they were successful and how to be more like them. Was there anybody in film, TV, entertainment that you looked at as a child and you aspired to be more like? Did any of them, you know, sort of shape who you became or your outlook in life? More so than film or TV show, I was always very influenced as a child by books. I've always been a voracious reader and always carried a book around with me even when I was little. And so rather than being inspired by, say, women on TV or in film, I was more so inspired by the characters that I would read about in books. One of my favorite series growing up was written by a woman named Tamora Pierce, and she writes about women in a historical sense, say, the first female knight and what her struggle was to become this powerful woman. And to me, that's who I looked at being my role model, those inspiring characters that were achieving their dreams and not being held back and really paving their own way forward. So how do you think these characters, how do you think they shaped how you looked at life? You know, did it give you inspiration to act in a certain way? Absolutely. There was this essence of goodness about the characters in that they always were considerate to others. They handled their problems in very mature ways. They had these life skills that I really admired, things that made me think of them as being very well-rounded. And so I kind of drew inspiration from that in my career. And when I saw how kind and gentle and giving the characters were in these books, a lot of that translated over to, I feel like, who I am as a person. I'm just very, very loving. I love everybody. I love getting to know people. And more so than an inspiration for greatness, since that never really was my goal, was to be great. I just wanted to be able to do great things on an individualistic level for people. It was a side effect of that that I think kind of led to my success in this industry, more so than, say, the desire to be number one. 
So for people like myself and others listening where maybe sex work is not illegal, can you go into a little bit about why people come and see you? You know, Is there a specific kind of criteria that you find for your clients? Have they, you know, is it emotional pain? Is it mainly people who have still got the virginity later in life? You know, is there a kind of main focus for why people come and see you? I wouldn't say there's one specific reason why folks choose to come and see a work, uh, a sex worker. However, I would say the character trait that they all share in common is that the men who choose to see me and the women that see me as well, since I do spend time with men, women, and couples, generally speaking, they all share a level of self-awareness where they know that there's something that they want in life, an experience that they're wanting to have sexually, intimately, an encounter, fantasy, or desire that they're really looking forward to. And my clients all seem to embody this. They all seem to come forward with this incredible sense of self-awareness and just, hey, this is what I'm looking forward to experiencing. This is what I'm hoping to get out of this more so than, say, a specific reason or cause. You figure, I see everybody from virgins that have never so much as kissed a woman to gentlemen that have lost their wives after 50 years of marriage. It's hard to say that's a commonality between the two of them other than they both recognize there's something in their life they want to change. It's really interesting to find out, you know, like why people tend to go and visit sex workers and, you know, utilize this industry because a lot of guys link their, you know, their ability to be described as a man or how masculine they feel by their sexual history and their sexual proclivity, you know, and that sort of thing. So what would you define masculinity as? Um, as far as my definition of masculinity and how I would define it as an overarching whole, hmm, it's it's a very difficult question. But if I had to kind of summarize men as a whole, it would be that they struggle with connection and communication because our society has deprived them of the tools that they need to be able to succeed in that way. When we talk about sex education in our societies, we're not teaching men or women how to talk about sex. We're not teaching men how to discuss their desires, nor are we teaching women how to establish boundaries. And so instead, we end up with this gigantic missed high five situation where people want to be able to communicate and they want to be able to have these encounters, but they simply don't know how to find the words to make them happen. So where do you think the problem lies with this? You know, what would you advise that could potentially change and allow these guys to have the connections and the communications and be able to open up and be able to speak their, you know, their desires and communicate with their partners about what they were looking for in the bedroom and in life? I think the heart of the problem is the lack of sex education. If I had to point to one thing that I believe would have the greatest impact on the quality of sex in our country, it would be improved sex education, starting with communication, because that's where everything begins. You have to be able to talk about something comfortably actually doing something. If you're uncomfortable having a conversation with a girl about how she likes to be touched or kissed, then you probably shouldn't be trying to kiss or touch that girl if you can't verbalize those things first. Yeah, I think a lot of men struggle with being open and vulnerable, you know, and kind of 
saying what they truly desire because they're worried about how it will be perceived and will people judge them on it you know especially if it's things like maybe a sexual act that's maybe seen as not very masculine or you know like if they want to be cockled or things like that a lot of guys struggle to kind of be open and honest with what they truly want and it's it's really sad Absolutely. There's this moment of hesitation I see in which men feel like they can't talk about something with women or they feel like a topic is inappropriate for men to be talking about altogether. Oftentimes this topic is around emotionality, about sex, about deep intimate topics that are really important to successful relationships. But for whatever reason, men have this idea that it's inappropriate for them to be having these conversations. Boys don't cry. Those stereotypes, unfortunately, influence us into our adult lives and translate to the poor communication that we see today. So if men really want to move past that and move forward, one of the things that they need to be willing to do is be vulnerable and uncomfortable with their partners. Be willing to take that deep breath and say, you know what, I may not find the perfect words, but I'm going to try. Now I'm going to keep talking and I'm going to keep explaining this until we're at a point of communication and understanding and that's that's where true intimacy lies, in my opinion. So what are the channels that somebody would follow if they wanted to look into using a sex worker? You know, how can they ensure it's a safe and secure location and, you know, that they're going to get what they truly want out of it? There tends to be two pathways that somebody can follow when choosing to see a sex worker for the first time. The first way, and in my opinion, this is the more intimidating way, is to simply walk into the location without an appointment and have what is called the lineup. During the lineup, all the currently available ladies in the house will then come forward in the parlor introduce themselves by name and stand in a line. At that point, you then have the opportunity to walk up to whichever lady catches your eye, shake your hands, and then escort her back to her room to have a conversation about what kind of an experience you would like to have. The second way that this can go, and this is what I usually do, is appointments. I'm only available by appointments, which means that somebody would have to email me in advance. But what this does is it allows us to start communicating right away. When you email me, you say, hey, this is what I'm thinking to do. This is what I'm wanting to come and visit. How are we going to get this set up? And so I'll give suggestions about different hotels, restaurants, activities to do in the local area together. I'll talk about any sexual problems or questions that they may have, any concerns or fears that they may have about their visit and kind of help reassure someone. So by the time that we meet face to face at the ranch, it's two friends hugging instead of two strangers meeting for the first time. In my opinion, that's the much preferred way to go about a sex experience because you get to start establishing that connection so early on. So that really surprises me because normally like when we visualize, you know, sex work, it's the CD thing of what do you want? How much is it going to be? But, you know, the way that you do it, it opens it up. You build the intimacy, you build a connection with the guest. You know, it's truly surprising. And I think a lot of people are going to be surprised by that because that way it takes out all the stress. It takes out the worry and it allows you to actually build the connection with the person and enable you to you know, to find out what they truly want and help them build their fantasies and make it come true. 
Oh, absolutely. It has nothing to do with what we're going to do together in the bedroom. In fact, we usually aren't even talking about sex until we meet face to face. Instead, our conversations could be about movies and the news, different activities that we both enjoy, hobbies that we share, different events happening in our lives. Things along those lines tend to more so be the focus. It's like communicating with a friend, very casual, relaxed, how's your day going style. And it's just very very comfortable it feels like messaging with friends so as i was doing my you know my research for you as a guest i looked through your website and i noticed that you do a number of different packages and services that you offer to guests so why do you think that your girlfriend experience is the the most sought after package from your users It's a combination of different factors. Unfortunately, we live in a society now that places more importance on what happens on our cell phones than what happens with the person that's face-to-face five feet away from us. I see it constantly, and it just breaks my heart. Couples that go out to dinner, and instead of talking to each other, they're on their phones. They're not communicating. They're not interacting. And I think that's to a great disadvantage for most of society. We have to talk about the fact that as our society has progressed, we've become very touch-starved, where we don't interact like we used to. Friends hugging friends and holding hands with friends is far less common than it used to be years ago, and that's influencing our relationships too. And so physical intimacy is absolutely on a decline, and so therefore we see the need for it increasing. When we talk about sex, health, and wellness, we oftentimes forget to talk about sex and intimacy it completely leaves the conversation and never gets accounted for we'll talk about someone's physical health mental health emotional health and goodness we'll even talk about someone's spiritual health before we're willing to talk about their sexual and intimate health and so the reason why i believe the girlfriend experience is most important and most uh, popular too is that it fulfills a true need in society that is lacking on such a grand scale it's the perfect parts of a relationship, cherry-picked and combined together to create the most amazing, intimate, romantic, and memorable experience that one could ever hope for. I think that's something you know that a lot of people struggle with, that we can do role-playing, we can dress up as other characters as people like, but you know we can't actually be ourselves. So it's easier for us to be somebody else rather than be you know who we truly are and I think that's why people really like you is because how you portray yourself on social media how you portray yourself on your website is who you truly are um so how do you feel you know how you know how do you build up the intimacy the connection with the customer Oh, gosh. Well, for starters, there's definitely no fantasy role play persona that I'm trying to make. If anything, in the girlfriend experience, I am my most honest, open and genuine self possible. It gives me an opportunity to share little things about me that people don't oftentimes get to know, like, hey, I'm also really into Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering. I'm kind of a gigantic nerd who really enjoys MMORPGs. And so when somebody mentions something about themselves and is vulnerable with me, I like to match that vulnerability and share something with myself too. 
then I follow it up with a question and try to get to know a little bit more about them and how they interact and understand that same common interest. Because my experience of a video game is going to be completely different than someone else's experience. When I play video games, I really like the competitiveness of it. Other people enjoy the artwork. It all is subjective to someone's experience. And so I try to understand where somebody is coming from when I'm getting to know them. And I find that the intimacy just blossoms naturally from there. So how would you advise a man listening to this who wants to, you know, give the girlfriend experience to his current partner? How can they, you know, start utilizing this intimacy and the connection in their own relationship? The first thing that you would want to do is put away the electronics and make space for a genuine interaction to happen. The only way anything is ever going to happen and change in your relationship is if you start making it happen. So that's the first thing that you really have to do is start investing the time and energy in the change. So let's say you start by going out to dinner. Put the cell phone away and encourage your partner to do the same. And then start by asking them a simple question something about their day, something about, you know, I never did ask you, what is your favorite song or what did you want to be when you grow up? Any of those questions about your partner that you may not have asked, ask them, get to know them a little bit better. Even if you spend years upon years intimately with someone, I guarantee there is still something about them that you probably don't know. Starting off with a conversation naturally is going to give way to being open and vulnerable. When we ask others to talk about themselves, we're naturally inclined to share about ourselves too. And then at that point, the conversation no longer feels like an exchange and it just becomes this very organic, beautiful thing that has a life of its own. You know, this is like one of the main reasons I want to speak to you was you know you can feel the passion and how much you enjoy your work and the connections with your guests you know whenever you speak to you or you see something on your social media oh my gosh I love my job I would not do anything else other than this and what I love most about my job is that one-on-one interaction. That for me is kind of my reward at the end of the day is getting to have those experiences with other because it's what fulfills me the most. I feel like I really get to learn about myself as a person. And oftentimes the gentlemen, women, and couples that I spend time with are incredibly interesting people with unique, complex lives, incredible education, interesting hobbies. And I just get to learn the most interesting things from being around them and sharing space with them. And I really treasure that. I never see myself dreading it. And I could never see myself reaching a point in which that feels like work. If anything, what feels like work to me is like the back end of things, like having to file taxes. Nobody likes to do that. That's the hard part of my job. But getting to work with people and talk to them on such a personal, intimate level, gosh, to me, that's just a gift. I love it. So we tend to reflect more on, you know, the customer and how they've changed as a person and, you know, how maybe they've dealt with some emotional pain or baggage, etc. But how do you think working in this industry has changed you as a person and your sort of outlook on life? I feel like every time we have an exchange with someone, it's an opportunity to grow as a person and have a new experience. Experience is what truly shapes our perception of the world more so than our age. And so I feel like by virtue of my job, I've been able to 
kind of age very rapidly in terms of the types of experiences I've been able to have. Say from two and a half years ago when I started this journey, I appreciate every single day so much more so now than I did years ago when I was younger. I really have started to live life to the fullest every single day and appreciate the moment. While it can be good to look forward to the future, at the same time we have to be present in the here and now because the future isn't a guarantee. The only thing that's guaranteed to us is this moment that we have right now and we've got to grab it by the horns and we've got to live it all of it for all it's worth and take every last moment of pleasure, of passion, of education, connection and learning and just make the most of it. And so I'd say I've really changed in the past couple of years in that regard and my outlook to life. Now, as we all know, there's some negative connotations about sex workers, you know, about being seedy, being dirty, etc. You know, do these kind of comments and beliefs, do they affect you in any way? Of course it does. Stigma is ever-present, and unfortunately, I can't prevent it from affecting my life. On an emotional level, I've kind of become used to it, but stigma oftentimes runs far deeper than people think. Stigma for me, lately in the past few months, has looked like going to doctors and having a difficulty finding medical professionals that are comfortable working with a sex worker. Instead Say just, uh, gosh, back in October, I had to have my appendix removed. I went into the hospital and because of what I do for a living, they wanted to check me for pelvic inflammatory disease before checking me for appendicitis. Had I not had a friend there with me advocating for me, they would have run the pelvic inflammatory test first and it's very likely my appendix would have ruptured by that time. That's ridiculous. You know, somebody who's taken a vow to treat people regardless of their profession or their own personal beliefs about that person's occupancy or you know where they're from etc can treat somebody like that just because of the type of their job it must have really infuriated you you know having that kind of reaction absolutely so the way that i tend to tackle problems is with direct action i believe we have to be the change that we want to see in this world and so after my own negative health experience i actually went on to found a group called hookers for healthcare which is now an advocacy group for sex workers advocating for access to medical health, equal treatment, awareness about our profession, and making sure that the ladies that work at the ranches are going to get the kind of medical attention that they deserve. So over the last 10 to 20 years, you know, sex and sex work and images and videos and things like that have become a lot more prevalent and accepted in today's society. You know, it's shown a lot more on entertainment. You have the things like the Fifty Shades of Grey, etc. So have you noticed a change in what your customers are coming to you for? Is there a change in the clientele? Is there a change in, you know, what they're looking for or people who are looking to explore? Or is it the same kind of people again? And I wouldn't so much say there's a change in the type of customers I get, so much there is a change in the type of experiences that my clients are approaching me for. I'm still seeing couples. I'm still seeing gentlemen that have lost their wives. I'm still seeing virgins. I still interact with folks with disabilities. However, the types of experiences are changing because as people listen to me more and more, they're starting to understand that this isn't just about the sex and that there truly is a value to 
let's go out to get some dinner first. Let me show you around Virginia City. Let me walk you through a practice state so this way, when you finally do get matched on Tinder, you feel comfortable and relaxed and really secure within that space. And so what's happened instead is that I'm spending more and more time with folks and it's turning into longer encounters. Additionally, I'm also seeing the same faces repeatedly. I have a much more of a return clientele basis that has set up kind of long-term arrangements with me where we've talked about and planned through several visits, perhaps their goals sexually or personally, and we really make a plan to help them further their lives and their goals. Now, I imagine you've worked with you know people from all different walks of lives, people with disabilities, people who have emotional pain because they've lost their you know partner of thirty odd years, etc. You know you'll deal with adult versions, etc. And it must be amazing to see the transformation in them and what they go on to do after working with yourself. So, is there anybody that kind of stands out in your mind that's made such a an amazing transformation that's blown you away? You know, they've gone from somebody who's shy and lacks all confidence and barely speaks to you know maybe going outgoing or has found the partner or start building the life that they really wanted. Oh, for sure. I never can reveal any specific uh, customer information. I just feel like that would be a, a violation. And so I try to stay away from any sort of specifics unless I've been given permission to share somebody's story. So this particular story is one that I have gotten permission to share. And it's actually something you mentioned. I had a gentleman come and spend time with me on three different occasions. The first time that he came to see me was shortly after his wife had passed away. She had been on her deathbed, unfortunately, from cancer, and this was a long time coming. It was a very, very sad decline, and she was fairly young, too, so this is even more heartbreaking. They just had children, so now he is a single father having to not just process his emotion, but also be there for his children, too. That very first visit was mostly the two of us just cuddling and talking and processing through those emotions. Because one thing that happens when people go through grief is that there's oftentimes not space created for somebody to mourn the loss of their partner. Instead, we're so worried about wagon wheeling around them and circling them and protecting them that we don't give them the space to process it. And so that first time I spent with them, I was really able to hold space and make that happen for them. The second time, we decided that we wanted to venture out and have some different experiences. We went out for the first dinner he's been on since his wife passed away. We ended up dancing under the stars in Lake Tahoe as part of a dinner cruise. And then our final third encounter together, he decided to take me and share with me the hotel room where him and his wife had shared their honeymoon and we sat on the very same balcony that they took their wedding photos and flipped through that wedding book and kind of talked about where this was for him and how this kind of signified kind of a closure and a closing chapter for him so he could start a new book and start a new life. And I've been in contact with him since then, and he is very, very happy. He's been on multiple dates with a woman and wrote to me asking advice on how he should propose. So I set him all up on this amazing helicopter experience. And so by the time that they landed and she turned, he was there kneeling with the ring and proposed to her. And I was actually invited to their wedding. 
it must be amazing, you know, sort of dealing with these kind of people, dealing with the emotional pain and dealing with their intimacy issues and, you know, really helping them change their lives. And it must make you feel amazing as a person to see these kind of transformations. You know, do you think this is why you've been so successful compared to other sex workers where, you, you know, you make the connection, you take the time to build the intimacy to, you know, to really get to know the person that you're working with and find out what they truly want and need? I would say it's not so much the reason for my success, but I would certainly say it's a contributing factor. Um, If I had to really pinpoint it, there's really no one reason as to why I'm, say, more successful than anyone else, other than the fact that I don't really compare myself to anybody else. The only person that I'm ever trying to, say, compete against or, say, trying to outdo would be myself and I try to just become a better version of myself every day and so the concept of say being the best in the industry being this progressive forward-thinking mind who's achieved all of these wonderful things it's very interesting for me because that's not generally how I tend to perceive myself I'm aware of the fact that I'm successful in the industry and of course I know I'm considered to be the the number one sex worker here in the states But to me, I'm still the same person I was, just with a little bit more experience, a lot more knowledge, and a passion that's only gotten deeper as time has gone on. I'm just myself unapologetically 100% of the time. You know, I think that's why you've been so successful, that you're not putting on this mask, you're not putting on a charade of being somebody that you're not the rest of the time. You know, you're not playing a character you're just being yourself and that comes across as natural and real you know every time i've seen you on social media or somebody you've been speaking to on a podcast you've been the same person throughout you know you're not like character a and then character b in your own personal time and i think that's what really works is people can build that connection because it's real it's authentic Simple as that. I am me. I am not going to be putting on any sort of a mask or a face or a caricature. I'm very, very comfortable in my own skin. And I feel like I can navigate most situations and conversations while being myself. Two folks could, say, have a disagreement of opinions about something and still be able to get along just wonderfully well, so long as everybody approaches the conversation from a respectful place. Oftentimes I get asked, say, about politics in the bedroom and how do I choose to approach that or do I simply ban politics? And I say, oh, no, I'm happy to talk politics in the bedroom. In fact, we can talk about them after sex cuddling. I'm very, very comfortable with whatever topics somebody else is comfortable talking to me about. And I'm going to share my genuine opinions. Now, I tend to find that men's attitudes towards sex, especially when speaking to friends, matures as they mature themselves. You know, when we're younger, it's more of a physical need. You need the need to orgasm, whereas as you get older, maybe it's more of a social connection and you need more from the relationship rather than just sex. You know, it's some girl can be hot, but she quickly becomes boring if there's not much more to the relationship than just her physical looks. You know, and I've even heard people say things like oh i expect a blowjob but i'm not going down on her oh yeah i, I want to say it was um dj khalid that just made a a big statement about that and has gotten quite the pushback from society so have you noticed anything like that have you noticed like customers 
you know, attitudes towards sex and the acts that they've been looking for and their attitudes to what they want to try has changed as they've matured. You know, do you find that the the younger people are a bit more selfish, whereas the older people are looking more for that connection and younger people want that physicality, they want that physical release? Not so much selfish. I think it's that people come from a place of experience and that more so tends to dictate how they approach the situation than their physical age. I have had gentlemen that are incredibly young physically but have a lot of experience approach an encounter with me from a place of incredible emotional intelligence. Whereas I've also had gentlemen that are in their 50s and 60s that have never had an encounter with a woman before and are absolutely confused about, okay, I don't know what to do. Where do we go from here? Help me. And so it's not so much age that shapes people's behavior so much as their experiences. Another thing that I think tends to shape how people behave sexually is their pornography behavior. And that's something, too, that isn't so much age-specific. It's not that porn is inherently bad or that porn is inherently evil. In fact, I think that porn absolutely has its time and place but what I oftentimes see is folks misusing porn and kind of creating this desensitization situation where they end up hurting themselves physically when trying to masturbate and of course that carries over into their sexual proclivities because now the things that arouse and interest them have become hyper specific as a result of porn where unless it's that one specific thing their bodies start to fail to respond. And that oftentimes shapes how somebody will act sexually and the types of things that they will ask me about. Well, pornography is a big one. It definitely affects, you know, how a lot of people view sex and how they look for it in their later lives. So what do you think is missing from porn? How would you change pornography or its use to make the kind of change that you need to see in your clients or that you think would best suit men? How to make love. It really is that we forget how to make love because porn doesn't show us how to make love, generally speaking. Porn shows us how to fuck. It shows us how to get down and dirty, and it gives us a whole bunch of really poor examples that aren't particularly pleasurable for anybody in this scenario. Guys... If you think that girls genuinely want you to grab their hips and slam them as hard as possible, you're wrong. That is a common misconception created by porn that is horrifically damaging and tends to lead to more problems than anything else. The speed at which we have sex has got to slow down. We've got to take things from an 11 and bring it back to maybe a 2 or a 3. And maybe we need to think about spending more time on things like foreplay. Things like kissing and touching and slowly undressing our partner. We shouldn't just be jumping right into, you know, the most deep, intense penetration we can possibly go for and do that the entire time. That is missing so much of the beauty of sex that you really miss out and lose a lot from that. 
So then for those who want to make sex more than a physical act, how can we change the way we do things and view intimacy and connection to, you know, to, to build that um, bond with our partners? You know, how should we focus on life? Do you have any sort of tips for that sort of thing? Absolutely. I'm really glad you asked this question. And so what you want to do is ask yourself this. How does my partner want to be treated? How do they want to be treated? The problem in our society is that we treat people how we want to be treated, but we should be treating people how they want to be treated. And if we don't know how somebody wants to be treated, then we need to ask and use our words to find out. So everybody is going to be different. And so it's very difficult to say overarchingly, you should always rub your partner or you should never say this to them because everybody wants to be treated in a unique and different way. And so instead, we have to learn how our partners want to be treated. One of the ways that we can do this is start by kissing them and then asking them specific questions about how they like to be kissed. Do they like tongue? Would they like less tongue? Do they like deeper kisses, more intense kisses? Do they like looking into your eyes when you kiss or do they like feeling your fingers tracing over their spine? What is it about the kiss that they enjoy? Is it the taste or the texture of the other person's lips? Do they enjoy the sound of the other person's breathing and their breath up against them? What is it about it that's so particularly erotic? When we start dialing down into those specifics and asking those really intimate and intense questions of our partners, we get to know them better and it teaches us their specific preferences that we get to use moving forward. Now that you've learned that your partner tends to carry their stress on their shoulders, that's an amazing gift that you can give them. Start rubbing their shoulders without them even having to ask. They're just going to lean right into that experience and love and appreciate you for it because you're treating them how they want to be treated. So for those men listening who are thinking, oh, um, you know, I really struggle with communication. I really struggle to talk to my partner. How how should they get go about, you know, opening up and speaking to the partner and, and building that bridge of communication? Hi, my name is Alice Little and I work at the Moonlight Bunny Ranch. And I'm really good at getting guys to open up and have real conversations. Practice. It's okay to practice those skills. It's one of the reasons why sex workers are here. We act as not just educators, but we're somebody that you can practice those real life skills with. We can go on a practice date. You can literally try foreplay and I'm going to give you feedback on it. Like you were talking about couples struggling to find the time and make the space to have those conversations. That's one of the things that I oftentimes do with my clients and my couples in particular. We make time to sit and talk down all together and talk about what does he want to get from this experience versus what does she want to have from this experience? What can we do to make sure that everybody is getting all of their wishes, desires, needs, and wants fulfilled? Additionally, one of the services that I offer is a relationship checkup where we actually go through someone's needs, wants, and desires and make sure that we're taking care of those things for our partners and coming up with actionable plans to address those things moving forward if they aren't being met. You mentioned earlier on, you know, that you do work with like couples rather than just individual people. So can you give an example of how you would work with a, you know, a couple and how would you start building that intimacy and the connection, the communication and the relationship? 
So usually what that experience looks like is I will get the massage table out and we'll start with having one of the two partners face down and myself and say the husband may start working on the wife's back. And she is going to talk us through, say, her body and her stress and what feels good and what feels bad. And I'm going to teach him how to massage her. While we're having that conversation, I'm also working into it questions about, well, how do you feel satisfied with your sex life at home? Is there anything you'd want to change or improve? And because we're having that conversation in a really relaxed setting where he's rubbing her back, it feels very non-confrontational and it really allows for a beautiful conversation to take place. And I'm able to help guide and steer both people so things move forward in this really amazing way. And so it's the little things like she mentions that she'd love to have her feet rubbed more often when she comes home from work because they're really sore. He says, hey, I could definitely do that for you. I would really love to take your shoes off of you when you come home at the end of the day and pamper you a little bit. Now that's become a part of their routine and something that they do every day. And they make time to honor their connection and relationship through just that one little simple action. But you better bet that five-minute energy investment and time investment pays dividends to them in the bedroom. Their sex life has never been better just because of that one simple thing. And why do you think a lot of couples fail? Relationships require work, and we shouldn't be afraid to invest work into our relationships. And that's one thing that people oftentimes shy away from and is one of the reasons why I see relationships fail. Somebody forgets to invest that time in the other person, show them that they care, show them that they're important. And, well, if somebody feels neglected for a long enough period of time, that tends to be where you find the failure in relationship. Now, you spend a lot of time with people and couples, you know, and you you have sex, which is a very intimate and very sacred act to a lot of people. Do you ever find it a struggle once you start getting to know the person on a deeper level and building that intimacy and connection that you know, that you start falling for that person? Is it hard to keep that professional level away when maybe that you start feeling for the person in a more intimate level? No, not in the slightest. Um, When you're talking about being professional, my profession is that of intimacy. Part of my job is genuinely becoming interested in my clients and genuinely falling in love with them as people. I believe that we have so much goodness inside each and every one of us. And there is an aspect of every single human being that I could fall in love with. And so why fight that? I allow myself to genuinely feel compassion and care and enjoy every single moment and experience that I have with somebody. For me to kind of hold back or pull away from that would feel very disingenuous to me. And so when I commit to something... I commit all the way. And so, of course, the private interactions with each client are going to look different and sound different. And everybody is going to have their own personal relationship, even within the realm of sex work. And and that's what I really appreciate is that I get to have a whole series of unique connections with the most incredible, kind, amazing people on the planet that I get to call my guests. Now, we talked earlier on about how sex was becoming more mainstream and common in media and entertainment, you know, the likes of Fifty Shades of Grey, etc. So what do you think the evolution of sex work will be? You know, will it be ever 
sort of universally accepted and legalized on a sort of global scale or do you think it's always going to have some sort of restrictions you know because in Britain, for example, we have it more of a connotation with people who work in the sex industry and prostitution. You know, they're sort of feeding addictions and they're like drug habits and things like that. So, you know, do you think it's always going to be have some sort of restriction or do you think there might ever be the sort of likes of the Bunny Ranch sorry, in different countries and guys will be able to just go there and it'll help them, like... You know, we go and see a counsellor for mental health. We could go and see a sex worker for our sexual issues. I think that slowly but surely we're seeing a perception shift in society in terms of how we view and perceive sex. Folks are becoming more aware of these social issues as time has gone on. And they're willing to question things that have otherwise been fit, firm definitions in their mind. When you hear the word prostitute or sex worker, there is a certain connotation that goes with that. But I believe that definition is slowly starting to change as society is realizing that there is more than one side to the coin here. There is unfortunately a conflation between sexual exploitation, sex trafficking, and a legitimate sex work. And I want to take the time here to really note the difference between exploitive sex, sex trafficking, and sex work. And the biggest difference comes down to consent. What I do is all consensual. I entered the industry because I chose to do it. And that kind of seedier side of the industry that you made reference to, that should be viewed as something that is not even the same as what I do. That trafficked, exploitive, forced, coerced, that world that involves pimps and all of those really horrible connotative stereotypes, that's not truly reflective of what sex work is. That is sex exploitation and sex trafficking, which the legitimate industry is incredibly, incredibly against. We only want people in this industry that want to be here, that choose to be here, that are excited to be involved in this. And so, unfortunately, we're experiencing a unique perception shift right now in the era of Me Too. We have this feminist upheaval where we're saying, yes, women can reclaim themselves sexually, but at the same time, we're saying, no, we don't want women to be able to be purchased and sold at all, ever, and it's a misunderstanding of what sex work is. It's a, it's a very conflicted time. There is a series of laws that just entered into legalization called SESTA and FOSTA. It's the Stop Online Sex Trafficking Act, which was supposed to fight against trafficking, but unfortunately, rather than actually stopping sex trafficking, it's placed limitations on legitimate consensual sex work. So it's very, very difficult for me right now to speculate and say where I see the future of sex work going in terms of legalization on a national level. But I can absolutely confidently say that the first step of being aware of this is the social issue. We have reached step one. 
I have no idea how long it's going to take us to reach step five and proceed to national level legalization. But one of my long term goals is to make strides and help make progress towards that means. I want to get a PhD and I want to kind of look at what the medical marijuana industry did to move forward on a national level and perhaps learn from some of those folks and follow in their footsteps. I'm all for sex work and I intend to be an advocate for legalized prostitution when I'm no longer in this industry. I really believe in this so wholeheartedly that I plan to dedicate my life to this topic. Absolutely, 100% all in. And you do a fantastic job of that. You know, you're opening up people's minds and they're making them change their understanding of the sex industry so that people can actually see the benefits that can be brought about from it. You know, that we all have this sort of bullshit representation of sex workers being dirty and seedy, but it can actually have a lot of the good side. And, you know, you're showing how that people with disabilities, people with physical injuries, people who have emotional pain can actually be helped and healed and, you know, change their lives by been involved in sex work and dealing with sex workers like yourself so how do you plan on continuing the advocacy of this how do you plan on evolving how people view and treat sex workers and sex work Continued education and continuous outreach. One of the things that I do is that I am a sex educator. Outside of the Bunny Ranch, I actually travel around to a bunch of different events and teach on a whole variety of different sex education topics, ranging from BDSM, fetish, kink, how to give a better blowjob. And so I continue to advocate by being out there and making myself available. I'm always open to answering anybody's questions. Even if somebody's like, I don't know if this is a good question, please ask it anyway. If it's something that you're genuinely curious about, I'm willing to be open 100% because somebody needs to be that person. As somebody who is the, the number one sex worker in the country, my experiences are so numerous at this point that it's really given me a great place to kind of draw from and kind of go, hey, so when you're talking about somebody with disabilities, these are the different advantages that they could have from seeing a sex worker versus say with a the couple, these are the reasons why somebody may see a sex worker. All of those subjective things I've really gotten to learn and I really make it a point to share that education because not everybody is going to become a sex worker. Not everybody wants to become a sex worker. And frankly, sex work isn't for everybody. But I feel like the lessons that I've learned from sex work are incredibly valuable and they need to be shared. And so I continue to advocate by sharing those lessons and putting myself out there as much as possible. And as strange a question as this may be, do you ever get, you know, kind of bored with it? Is it do you get to the point where you think, oh, it's the same experience over and over again? Or is it quite unique depending on the person? I like to, I kind of like to focus on everybody as an individual no two experiences are going to be the same, even when you're talking about very, very basic vanilla type sex. I've never had that exact encounter with that person before. So it's going to become very interesting and new to me. How does that person like to be kissed or touched? 
Where is their body most sensitive? What positions are we going to be able to find for our best mutual pleasure? And so it never really becomes stagnant or stale to me because every time I go into it with a new experience, it's always different, always changing. And I always get to come away from it with a little bit of law, a little bit of knowledge, which is really fun. Well, I literally have pages and pages more questions, but I realize we're coming up to an hour now, so I'm very, um, very aware of your time. So have you got a few more minutes and I can uh, see how you do with the rapid fire questions? Absolutely. Well, these are the rapid fire questions. So this is a chance to get to know more about you as a person. You know, we could go on about this topic for years yet, but I want to find out more about you. So if I throw out a prompt, if you just come back with the first thing that comes to your mind. So, for example, if I said, what's your favorite podcast? Oh, my gosh. I would say that it's Dan Savage's, but he won't return my emails. So I would have to say Tim Ferriss until Dan Savage gets back to me. What's a song that you put on, you know, if you're having a bad day and you just want to chill out and be happy again? Oh, I'm going to listen to Rainbow by Kesha. I love her new album. It speaks of her transformation and growth and is just such a beautiful celebration of life that every time I hear that song, it makes me smile. So what would you say is a guilty pleasure of yours? I... I'm not so sure I would call it a guilty pleasure because I am a wholehearted nerd. I love Dungeons and Dragons, Magic the Gathering, video games, Star Wars. Bring it on. I love diving into pop culture. There's just so many great shows on TV and amazing video games. Like, I got really, really into the Marvel Universe, so I've been really excited with the Infinity War movie. Deadpool 2 is out, so I've been looking forward to seeing that in theaters. And so my guilty pleasure is straight up enjoying pop culture. I love it. It's fantastic. So for everybody listening to this, what would you want their... um main message about sex workers to be you know from after listening to this podcast we're all people at the end of the day under the hair and the makeup and the nail polish and the photo shoots i'm just a girl who's excited as anybody else to see deadpool well i won't spoil it for you but it is an amazing film okay cool because i'm seeing it this afternoon now, I'm pretty sure I stole this question from Tim Ferriss, who I love some of the answers that his guests give, but what would you say is the best purchase under $100 you know, that you've made recently, something that's completely changed your life or has made a process so much easier for you? I think you may have, and I'd have to say the best purchase under $100 that I've made in the past, gosh, year, it's going to have to be a book. I have really leaned into the Dale Carnegie series. I really love what he has to say about leadership, about making yourself unforgettable. And so I've really enjoyed his books. I had the opportunity to purchase a whole bunch of them as a collection. And I, I would have to say that that has changed my life the most of anything that I've purchased. Okay, so you're throwing your dream dinner party. You can have five other people that come. They can be real or fictional. They can be alive or dead. But these are the sort of five people that, you know, would 
be just the ideal beginner guest for you. Who do you pick and why? Okay, so first person I'm going to choose is Tony Robbins. I have always admired the work that he does and how he interacts with people. And I would just love to sit down and pick his mind and kind of understand better how he thinks and how he chooses to relate to people. The second person would have to be Dr. Ruth. She's been so influential in the world of sex that I would love to get to hear from her and learn from some of her experiences. The third person uh, probably would have to go with someone from history. I would have to invite Alexander Hamilton. And this isn't just because I love Lin-Manuel's play, but I really do. I love Hamilton. I'm totally a Ham fan. But the reason why I would invite Alexander Hamilton is I would love to learn what the Founding Fathers intended with some of their statements. They were from a different time and a different place. And with that, I'm sure came a very unique viewpoint. And so to have a deeper understanding of that, I think would give us a lot of insight into how our country operates today. The, oh gosh, I would probably also invite two of my favorite authors. I'd invite Jacqueline Carey. She wrote the Kushiels series, which is actually about a sex worker. So I'd love to get to talk to her and understand some of her inspiration. And the final person would be the author I mentioned earlier, Tamora Pierce. Her books were just so incredibly influential on me as a child that I just would love to shake her hand and say thank you. Thank you for writing them. They meant a lot to me. So when everything's said and done, you know, and you've got some free time, how do you like to relax away from everything? I like to, oh my gosh, so I like to take a hot bath with a cup of turmeric chai tea while watching Academic Earth on my laptop because I'm a cool kid who watches academic lectures in my spare time instead of binge watching Netflix like a normal person does. Like seriously, um, Academic Earth is a habit. If I had to say I had any addiction to write anything, it would be to knowledge and learning. And so Academic Earth allows you to watch some of the best college lectures from all of the top universities on such an incredible range of topics that I just can't get enough of it. Oh, my God. Seriously. Like, if there's anything that I try to make time to do, it's make time to learn. At the end of the day, I am still an introvert. I'm an INTJ, and so it means that at, when all is said and done, I still need some alone time to recharge my batteries. Usually that looks like me kicking on a nice hot blanket with a cup of tea at the end of the night, cuddling up with my dogs in bed, and just taking an evening to myself. There's nothing wrong with enjoying your own company and spending time with yourself. If you're not comfortable being with yourself, well, there's a problem right there. And so I kind of enjoy being alone every once in a while. At the same time, though, I so look forward to getting to spend time with other people that oftentimes when I am trying to take time for myself, I, I kind of find myself longing for the company of others regardless. What's an interview question that you absolutely hate answering? Or, you know, is there anything that drives you crazy? Is there a question that you get that you just are so fed up of hearing and you just think it's so played out? 
Anytime somebody asks me for beauty tips, I have to burst out laughing because I am not a makeup artist. While my job, of course, requires me to wear cosmetics and makeup, that is very far from my realm of expertise, and it is not something that I am qualified in any way to give any advice on at all whatsoever. And so whenever somebody asks me for beauty hacks or beauty tips, I kind of just have to blink at them and go, um, Q-tips are really good for getting rid of mascara if you accidentally blink when it's still wet and move it all over your eye. Other than that, Neutrogena makeup wipes take away all your mistakes and best of luck, keep trying. So it, it's such a funny question that people will ask me for beauty tips and it just feels very, very off the wall that like, yes, I'm a woman in an industry wearing cosmetics, but there are far more things I am more qualified to answer than something so vapid. Well, if you're asking me for beauty tips, we're in some serious trouble. Are you sure you have such beautiful eyelashes, though? Surely you've got to have a tip for us. Yeah, well, I suppose my number one tip to get good eyelashes. Be born with them, probably. That's how I managed to get mine. <laughs> There's just so many more interesting things that we could ask. And there's just so many fascinating aspects of somebody's life that shape who they become later on. Like one of my favorite questions whenever I get to know somebody, I love to ask them what their favorite childhood meal was. I ask them to close their eyes and go back and think of a dish that they had as a kid that used to make them smile. And then I have them describe it to me. Because that answer changes depending on where somebody is from, what their cultural experiences are, did they grow up rich or did they grow up perhaps in a with a family that didn't have as much. And it just, it gives you such incredible insight to who somebody is with just such a simplistic question. Well, you can't mention that and not give an answer. So what was your favorite childhood dinner? Oh my gosh. My grandma's chicken and vegetable pot pie. She used to make it on Sunday nights and the whole house would smell so good for hours as we're waiting for this. And it was constantly a battle between myself and my grandma and trying to convince her to start dinner sooner because it just smelled so good. And breaking into the crust with the spoon and just getting that first warm bite was just like a dose of love. It felt like a big hug. And I'm still totally a sucker for chicken pot pie to this day. Compliments to my grandma. Yeah, we had some uh, very similar upbringing, you know, it's when you have that smell filling the house and you're just desperate to go and there's nothing better than a home-cooked meal and you can just smell it and you're salivating just waiting for it to come out of the oven, you know, and you try steal bits as they come out of the oven and you're getting chased away, you know, it's some of my happiest memories as a kid. Grandma's chasing you away with a wooden spoon saying, uh-uh, don't you dare, you're not ruining supper. Now, something I was quite interested to hear was, uh, you know, you were brought up in Ireland originally. So why did you move across over to the States? I was five. So do you keep in touch with the, you know, the that side of the family at all? Oh, 
Oh, yes. Um, I'm still very in talks and communication with my Irish family. We do a big family reunion every other year, so I get to travel home for that. And, of course, I have more cousins than I can count. Like, really, it's one of those big Irish families. And so I've got cousins and relatives pretty much around the world now that if I'm ever traveling, oh, hold on, let me contact my Irish cousins in Oregon. Hold on, we have somebody in China. Oh, you want to go visit Europe? Good thing we have somebody in Europe. And so there's this hilariously large family network that's oh so much fun, and I just love getting to talk with them and interact with them. Well, I have to say it's been an absolute pleasure. You've been an absolute joy to speak to. You know, I really hope that this helps opens up people's eyes to sex work. You know, that I think you're a fantastic person, that you're so warm, friendly and humble. You know, and I wish you nothing but success for the future. Oh, thank you. So what do you want everybody listening to take from this? You know, if there's a go-home message that you want everybody listening to take, if it's the one thing they remember, what would it be? That sex workers are people too. And that everybody has something to learn from a sex worker, whether it's a sex skill that you could improve, a communication skill, a dating tip. We all have something to learn from sex work and from sex workers. And I wish that people would be willing to cast aside their perceptions and be willing to ask those questions and get that knowledge. Sex workers have historically been a part of society since the Assyro-Babylonian times. It literally is society's oldest profession. We're teachers, we're educators, we're confidants. We serve such a beautiful and magnificent role in society that is unfortunately underappreciated these days. And so I try to bring that nobility back to sex work and that sense of respect for sex workers back to the industry. I believe that what we do is incredibly noble, incredibly selfless, and greatly beneficial to society. And so I just want people to come away from this with that deeper understanding that it's not just about sex. There's so much more to this when you're willing to move past your perceptions and open your eyes. Well, I think you'll have made a legion of new fans from this. So for anybody listening, you know, who wants to know more about you, find out about your latest projects, maybe get in touch and work with you, how can they, you know, get in contact and how can they start setting that up? If you have any questions, any comments, interested in seeing me, the best way to get a hold of me personally is going to be by email account, which is alicelittle at bunnyranch.com. On social media, I'm also very active. You can find me on Twitter at the Alice Little and also on Instagram under Alice Little as well. And on there, I'll oftentimes share stories, blog posts, podcasts such as this one, just general information that could be of interest and help to you. Additionally, you can visit my website, thealicelittle.com. I have a newsletter that I strongly suggest you subscribe to. This way you get everything sent to your inbox, and it's updated monthly. Well, Alice, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really hope it's helped people listening know more about sex work, maybe change perceptions of it. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and contact you because... It's really blown me away by how warm and humble and friendly and how informative, you know, how articulate you are. And it's, I hope it's really helped a lot of people. Oh, my gosh. Thank you 
seriously, so much for having me on the show. It's It's been great talking with you. Well, the floor is open to you. If there's anything else that you want to mention, any other thing, projects coming up, is there anything that we should be keeping an eye out for? One of the things that I happen to do, and this is a new thing I've started over the last few months and have had great success with, is I do a little show called Coffee with Alice. It's every Thursday morning, usually around 10.30 PST, and it's just a very casual live stream conversation over Periscope in which I talk about a specific sex topic. We've covered everything from the best sex positions for her pleasure, how to talk to your partner about sex. I'll touch on different social issues such as consent. And each week the topic changes. And so it's a great way to kind of get to know me better, learn more about my message, and hear more about sex work. That's it for another week. Thanks for listening. Absorb it. Practice it. Use it. Until next time. Keep trying to hit that next level in your life.